0: Log Talk Radio. To reaching Out Radio International and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. I want to welcome you to part one of a two-part series on five key components of healing, during tonight's broadcast, we'll be taking a deep, deep dive look into five components of the healing journey, gratitude, hope, faith, confession, and restoration. And during part two of this series, which will air next month in September, we'll look at five more key elements as they pertain to healing, including forgiveness. So we'll be unpacking each of these concepts and viewing them through a biblical lens as they pertain to emotional and spiritual healing. True healing is a journey, much more than it is a mere destination. But as you stretch your trust and faith in God and permit Him to gently guide you as you examine your heart and allow Him to minister to your soul and spirit, He will bring His freeing truth and healing to your heart. And His transformational power into all areas of your life. So just want to start out tonight by way of introduction with a scripture verse. And this is from Matthew 8, 8, which says, The centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Speak the word. This was the one thing that the centurion requested in the above verse. The story of the Roman centurion is one with which many of us are likely familiar. It was an act of faith on the part of the centurion as he knew that Jesus had the authority to heal his servant. The centurion came to Jesus because he knew that only Jesus could speak a healing word on behalf of his servant. And Jesus continues to speak his healing words to his children today through the Holy Spirit and through his holy word, the Bible. John's Gospels tell us that Jesus Christ is the Word, and you can see John 1, 1 1-18 for that reference, and since he is, we can trust that his words will be the right words for our healing. If we look at the original Greek word for healed in Matthew 8, 8, it is the word Ieomi, which means to cure or to restore to health, to heal or to make whole. It carries with it the idea of a full and total healing of a particular ailment or condition. And faith is the preparation for God's healing when we're talking about asking him and seeking him to do a healing work in our lives. So Jesus, who speaks life with his words, can bring healing and freedom to us in our place of need as we express our faith in him and in his healing power. This healing is beyond physical and medicinal only. In fact, another Greek word meaning to heal is therapuo, and of its 43 occurrences in the New Testament, only two refer to healing by ordinary medical means. In all of the other passages, it refers to the miraculous healings performed by Jesus or his disciples. Acts 10.38 states, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus healed, and that's that word again, i all who were oppressed by the devil. The word for oppressed here carries with it the idea of being tyrannized, ruled over, or being worn down. Therefore, Jesus not only heals us physically, he heals us from the weights that drag us and wear us down. And tonight, really, we're focusing on emotional and spiritual healing and mental healing as we look at this concept of um, the healing power of the Lord. The Old Testament is also filled with examples of the Lord's healing. We can see this in Psalm 107, 20, where the psalmist says, he sent his word and healed him. And delivered them from their destruction here the Hebrew word for healed is the word Rafa which conveys the meaning of to heal to restore to normal to cure and to mend it becomes clear from a reading of the Old Testament that it is a characteristic of faith in the Lord that he is the source of all our healing because all aspects of our lives are dependent upon the Lord alone so since there are many different areas of our lives that he may intervene um, for healing, including using physicians, directing us to live a certain lifestyle changes, et cetera, this broadcast is going to focus specifically on the application of God's word concerning the aspects of emotional, mental, and spiritual healing, as I stated uh, just prior. So since everyone is born into this world spiritually dead and in need of a savior, in addition to the effects of a sinful world and our own choices upon our lives, it's quite clear that we all need both God's spiritual and emotional healing. Our spiritual healing begins with our spirit being born again, according to John 3, verses 3 through 7, and continues as we mature in Christ and begin to receive his healing or our emotional and mental wounds. So often we as Christians don't expect or sometimes even ask, enough of God. In fact, some people think that the current condition they're in is all God has for them in life, and this is just simply not true. As such, this broadcast this evening is for those who want to participate in their own healing process as you believe that God is Jehovah Rapha, your healer. So let's start with the first of the five healing concepts for tonight. And as I said, next month we'll have part two of this broadcast and cover five more key elements. And these elements tonight are in no particular order, but we're going to start out with gratitude. So first, uh, we're going to look at a verse that speaks to this. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude so just some backward first background first gratitude and Thanksgiving in a world that's been become increasingly more and more self-centered and where blessings have become more of an expectation we can see these words are being used less and less frequently however as believers were instructed over and over again to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving in fact Colossians 2.7 says that we should be overflowing with gratitude. So the Greek word for gratitude in the above verse is eucharista, and this word might look or sound familiar to many of us as our English word eucharist, which is a term for Holy Communion, is taken from eucharistia. If we trace back the roots of this word, it's ultimately formed from eu, e-u meaning good, or well and for, from Caris which means grace thus it can be looked at meaning good grace or well favored and it is defined as our response to this good grace by meaning Thanksgiving gratitude or thankfulness therefore gratitude becomes our response to a feeling of being well favored and it becomes quite clear as to why scripture admonish, admonishes us to approach God with Thanksgiving since God reached out to us in order to provide an atonement for our sins, we have every reason to feel well-favored, so much so that it flows out excessively, with more than enough around, over and above, as this is what the word parasuo translated overflowing, means. If we can adopt this attitude towards the things of God, we can then begin to apply it towards those little blessings in our lives. In fact, Every perfect gift is from above, according to James 1.17. And as we realize this, it will become easier for us to convey a sense of gratitude. Scripture also instructs us to be grateful even when we're going through troubles and afflictions or when we're worried or anxious. In Philippians 4.7, Scripture instructs us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here, Thanksgiving is translated from the word Eucharistia, and it is to accompany our prayers to God about that which we are anxious. How can we be thankful during these times? Well, if we look at the word for anxiety, which is Marimnao, it's derived from the word Maris, which means a part or a portion. So our anxieties are only a portion of the whole picture. God sees the whole picture, and this is surely something for which we can express gratitude to God in our prayers. It's also important to note here that when you're feeling anxious, keep in mind that you are only seeing at that moment a very small part of the picture um, when God, in fact, sees the entirety of it. So keeping in mind that you're not able to see how this turns out Therefore, you can't have control over it in that sense. And there's no need to waste energy being anxious about something that you have no control over. However, the Lord himself has it within his sovereign control. And we'll get into that uh, further later on. Um, So when we do express gratitude, as we're just talking about, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how can we apply gratitude in the context of our emotional and spiritual healing? Well, an attitude of gratitude can literally make or break a person's outlook or perspective on life. Gratitude is so important, in fact, that failure to take note of all the areas in our lives that deserve our gratitude can actually cause a person to fall into some level of depression. Especially in our Western society today, where we seem to have all of the creature comforts possibly needed, we easily and quickly take for granted the many blessings the Lord has bestowed upon our lives. Some of us as human beings seem to be hardwired to notice or focus on the negatives, to look for and point out those situations or conditions that we're unhappy with. And some even make sure that everyone around them is aware of their opinions and attitudes as well. So it's easy to fall into a trap like this. And it actually takes discipline to turn an ungrateful heart or mindset around. One thing that I frequently request to the patients that I see at my practice is to ask them to make a list each day of at least five things that they're grateful for. Whether it's in a journal or just an index card or somewhere they can write this out as part of their prayer time with the Lord each morning. The Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every morning, so we know that in God's creation alone, we can find untold riches, beauty, and blessings because of God's loving, providential hand towards us, His creation. Surprisingly, though, many people struggle greatly with compiling such a list. And if that's the case, I'll encourage patients that I see to begin by looking at the most basic fundamental elements, even such as the fact that they have air to breathe for yet another day. And it truly is okay if it takes time to really incorporate this as a way of thinking, because in essence, by doing so, we're actively engaging in the process that the Bible calls the renewing of the mind. As we choose what we want to fill our thoughts with, in this case, those things which we are grateful for and appreciative of in our lives, and dwell on those thoughts, we will find that we'll soon begin to feel better about ourselves and adopt a more positive attitude about life in general. If we choose to adopt an attitude of gratitude for the blessings we've received, we may then desire... To be a blessing to others as well so it's kind of like the concept there of paying things forward when you've learned how to to really experience gratitude for all that God has blessed you with you also want to encourage those around you to notice the blessings in their lives also but if we choose to take the blessings that God has put into our lives for granted we will live with a mentality that says we're entitled to more we deserve better And as such, we'll waste time and energy wondering why life isn't fair. This can lead to something called a victim mentality, which is actually a very dangerous slippery slope as it pertains to someone who might be prone to fall into depression or despair or discouragement. So if you find yourself viewing your own life and the aspects of your life um, as being circumstantially way too difficult for you, if you allow your mood and your feelings to be led by your circumstances, um, and that can easily plunge you into something that we, in this field, call a victim mentality, where you kind of view yourself as being the victim or having the whole world is against you, people are out to get you, no one has your best in mind, those types of things. And, and thinking like that um, it, it really holds some dangers as it pertains to um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the type of therapy that I use in my practice uh, based on really the word of God, which says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So be be aware if you have that tendency to fall into victimhood or victim thinking. Um, some people just come by that naturally or they've observed it maybe in families growing up, but it can be a trap and it can be something that the enemy uses against you, um, especially if you're kind of uh, tend towards a melancholic disposition to begin with. Um, gratitude truly is a choice. It's a choice. We can choose to be grateful. Even though we may feel that we have very little to be grateful for, we need to start off small with those things that we typically skip over because they may seem too un- inc- inconsequential on the service. However, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help bring to mind the blessings which he, we, he has so lovingly graced us with. And you'll be amazed at the positive changes in your mood and in how you see yourself if you make a practice or a discipline of pointing out those five things per day that you're grateful for. So our second key uh, for healing concepts is hope. And Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word I do hope. So just some background. One of the most distinguishing features of biblical Christianity and Judaism from all other religions in the world is our hope in God, in Yahweh. There have been discoveries of prayers from Israel's neighbors during the Old Testament period, but in none of those prayers do the people ever refer to their God, small g, as their hope, or as having any hope in these gods. However, an Israelite who was a follower of the Lord could pray, For you, God, are my hope. O Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. Psalm 71.5 God is the object of our hope. And since he is faithful, merciful, loving, and just, our hope can be fully directed and placed in him. In Psalm 130, verse 5, the Hebrew word for hope is yakal, which means to tarry or wait, to hope or be expectant or to be patient. So as we can see, hope is linked with waiting. And so often this is what God wants us to do, wait. This is not easy, especially for those of us who do have a daily struggle with patience. But even though we're waiting, we can wait with expectancy. And I think that's the difference. We can have a posture of expecting God to act, not just waiting around in a passive condition, but expecting him to act. And we can wait with that hope for the Lord of hosts will never fail us. In essence, to hope for something is to wait for something because we do not hope for what we already have, rather for what we desire to have. And it's so important for us to have a proper perspective of waiting and hoping for what God has in store for us. If we dig into another Hebrew word for hope, we find an even greater treasure. The word for hope in Psalm 71:5 is actually tikvah, which carries the meaning of a cord, an expectation, and a hope. Its root is the word kavah, which means to bind together by the meaning cord, to expect, to wait, or to hope. So as we're hoping in the Lord, this hope becomes a cord or a rope, kind of a lifeline, which ties us into our loving Heavenly Father. As we're remaining in hope and expressing our faith in God, we become bound to Him, even twisted together with Him, if you will, believing that He is worthy of our hope. So the main New Testament word for hope is El peace and that's also rich with meaning. Its usage never refers to a vague or fearful hope, but rather it always conveys the expectation of something good. Hope, along with faith and love, form the three fundamental elements of the Christian life. See 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. So while on earth, none of these three can exist without the others, for there is no hope without faith in Christ who loved us before the foundation of the world, the New Testament shows us that this hope is always Christ-centered. It does Christ-centered, and it does not rely upon works of the flesh, but the grace of God, and it is a gift of the Father's grace. One of the most detrimental attitudes that we can have is one of expressing a lack of hope. Scripture, in contrast, argues against that type of attitude, as el-peace, the word for hope, is used 54 times demonstrating an abundance of hope in the New Testament. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15:13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So applying this now to concepts of healing, a well-known proverb states, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and that's Proverbs 13, verse Well, This is true for all aspects of our being. When hope is deferred, it literally can make us sick physically. We can develop bodily symptoms when hope is absent from our lives, including, amongst many others, lethargy, loss of appetite, sleep disturbances, ranging from insomnia to hypersomnia, which is sleeping away most of the day. And spiritually, if we don't maintain our hope in Christ, who is our hope, We can run the risk of shutting down our prayer life, stopping our spiritual disciplines, not studying scripture, not communing with God. So when hope is lost, we're even less likely to want to attend church and engage in worship um, in a corporate setting. So all of these elements are really vital to our spiritual health. And emotionally, if we don't have hope, this is the beginning of depression. This is a precursor to discouragement disappointment and oftentimes it's the slippery slope that leads down to a major clinical depression and despair so when a person is without hope that's what really gets my attention in terms of whether they're at risk of self-harm in any way and it needs to be said that hope in fact is also a choice just as we mentioned that gratitude is choice same for hope might not feel like a choice but it is There are many times in our lives when we'll feel hopeful without necessarily having to try or to choose to, such as natural responses when we get good news or we learn of something that'll make our lives better or easier. But more often than not, we will need to consciously choose to be hopeful in Christ. And depending upon the circumstances, this may not always be the easiest thing to do. But if we do it, it will help us tremendously in getting through the difficult times that come with life. So choosing hope means embracing the concept that there actually is light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. Choosing hope means that we focus ourselves on looking toward that light, which which essentially is Christ, and allowing it to encourage us to keep persevering through our trials. Part of choosing hope involves the concept of the renewing of our mind, which I mentioned earlier. Renewing the mind in relation to choosing hope involves filling the mind with scriptures that talk about hope as well as choosing to think hopeful thoughts rather than choosing to think negative thoughts such as I give up, it's hopeless, or I can't see that light at the end of the tunnel, or why bother hoping it won't happen anyway, etc., etc., these negative types of thoughts are so detrimental to our emotional health and at times can even bring on signs of major depression and desire to harm oneself as I stated because our thoughts leads to our thoughts lead to feelings and feelings lead to actions. So as we can see uh detrimental things can happen when hope is lost but I'd like to now address the numerous benefits that are present when we do choose to hope. The benefits or advantages uh, of choosing and remaining hopeful are many, and some of these can include, for example, experiencing less stress in our daily lives as a mindset of hope changes our attitude and outlook on our circumstances, which can reduce our stressful moments, along with making us less vulnerable to depression. Scripture scripture says in Psalm 43, 5, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Our countenance refers to our facial expression. And so when we make it a point to hope in God, it may even reflect on our face. Our inward decision, in this case to choose hope, becomes an outward expression, And as believers, we also must not forget the blessed hope, Titus 2.13, which refers to the glorious appearing of Christ when he comes back for us, his church, his bride. A perspective like this can be very encouraging to us when we're in trials of many kinds and need an an eternal viewpoint to help get us through, especially in this post-pandemic and in many ways upside-down world in which we now find ourselves. It's very important to keep our hope fixed on Jesus. He is the source of that hope. So thirdly, we'd like to look now at faith as a concept and one of the keys of our healing. Uh, Hebrews 11:1 says, "Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen." So again, starting with a little background. As stated in the introduction of tonight's broadcast, having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is essential to our healing because when faith is present within us, we are prepared to receive God's healing power. In fact, where there is a lack of faith, there may also be a lack of God's power being displayed. Not always, but this is the case at times. We can see this exemplified in Mark 6, 5, where because of the unbelief of those in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, he, quote, could do no miracle there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them, unquote. So the unbelief of the people there did not remove Jesus' ability to heal. It only did not permit the release of what was already present. However, we should not necessarily equate the lack of an answer to prayer to a lack of faith on our part. And this is very important because many times I work with patients who have been shamed perhaps uh, when they have prayed for healing for themselves or for a loved one and that healing did not manifest. Um, A lot of times they'll tell me that what they are asked is, well, didn't you have enough faith? Or if you would have only had enough faith, that person would have gotten healed or would have survived or whatever the specific circumstance is. It's very important to to be really careful with this because that person is already grieving and hurting to begin with and piling shame on them is going to do nothing but cause them to spiral down further. So I just want to add a word of caution to not be accusatory towards someone who has prayed um, for healing or for a circumstance to change and immediately assume that they didn't have enough faith. That's a really dangerous thing to do. And it's caused a lot of problems um, for people—a stumbling block, if you will, in their walk with the Lord. Um, so, just want to make you aware of that. It's not necessarily due to a lack of faith. The Greek word for faith is pisteis, which has its origin from the word pseuo, meaning to win over or persuade. So, for example, when we put our faith in Christ for salvation. We have been persuaded that we are sinners and that believing in Christ's sacrificial death on the cross brings us forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, therefore peace means conviction, firm, firm persuasion, or faith. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, we can see how faith is demonstrated in our lives. For it is the substance, which is hypostasis, of things hoped for, the evidence, the Greek word is eleghos, of things not seen. Hupostasis is from the word hupo, which means under, and hystami, which means to stand. Therefore, it means something that stands or is in place under that which is a support or basis for a substance. Therefore, faith becomes our rock, our support for the hope that we have in God. In fact, this hope is a continuous hoping as this is how the Greek text renders that verb. The word elegos means conviction, and it means not only conviction from God regarding sin, but also conviction in a legal sense, where the charge against the accused is revealed and acknowledged. So here, this conviction is regarding things not seen, which is once again a continuous, quote, not seeing in terms of that verb tense. So we can tell that the weight that faith carries in our lives and how it refuses to rely upon what is seen is so important. Rather, it builds up a firm and concrete unseen foundation and continues to hope in the living God. As the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians 5-7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So in terms of the application of faith as it pertains to our healing journey, Faith can sometimes seem like a difficult concept to grasp or comprehend because it's not necessarily a tangible thing, at least not in the natural realms, that we can get our arms around. And yet, faith is one of the key components in our relationship with the Lord. Scripture tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. How can we please God, then, if we don't even have much of an idea of what faith is in the first place? Well, as stated previously, Faith can be seen as meaning to win over or to persuade. So in a sense, faith may be viewed as a type of strong belief, so strong that it actually persuades us into a particular point of view about something. We are then won over to that side. But it's not just simply mental assent. Faith in God pleases him because he knows that even though we can't see him with our earthly eyes, we have still chosen to believe and trust in him. So faith is literally the substance of things not seen. It, I believe in the spirit realm is a substance. Um, faith too, as I just mentioned, is a choice. So as you can see, these concepts and keys for healing are all things that we can choose. We aren't necessarily born with a predisposition for all of this, but these are things that as adults we can make conscious, this is it, decisions to choose in certain ways that will help our mental health. And that's the whole purpose of this two part series is to give you tools, a total of 10 tools that can be useful in your healing journey, um, as you seek God for the particular ways in your life that you need his healing power. So we've all heard the phrase, take a step of faith. Taking a step of faith implies taking a risk of some sort. And in a sense, This is true. We can say to the Lord that we'll step out in faith, all the while praying that we'll find a solid rock beneath our feet when we do. So therefore, on some occasions, faith really will feel like a risk. But each and every time we choose to have faith, God makes it more than worth our while. Learning to walk by faith and not by sight truly is a lifelong process for most of us. As we begin to see God as a faithful God, it will become easier for us to step out in faith. But it is a process of trust and maturity for all of us. A strong faith in God helps us take what we know to be true in our mind and walk it out in our heart, our everyday experiences. Faith can take head knowledge and turn it into heart knowledge if we activate our will and make the choice to take a step out in faith, even though the risk of doing so may seem a little intimidating at first. But God supplies all of our needs, and this one is no exception. We can ask the Holy Spirit to give us an increased measure of faith, and he will. Be prepared for some tests along the way as he grows your faith and levels of experiencing that faith in him. So faith can be seen as a pure level of trust, which is not in need of evidence or of all of the facts, or of all of the logical explanations, It is a choice, despite the lack of these. And it is characteristic of vitality to our Christian walk and our journey of healing. Because we couldn't go where God wants to take us without seeing our lives through the lens of faith. And this is why I think it's so key to our healing, because we need this faith in order to know and believe that as we seek God and ask God and keep seeking him and keep asking and keep persevering, that he will be true to his character as Jehovah Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. So it might not be a one-time thing. We are to ask, seek, and knock, but we also need to understand that those verbs are continual action verbs in the original Greek language. We need to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. In other words, we're to persevere in order to be able to overcome. And I think that's key because some people give up too soon. They may in in to give you an example from my situation, I may see a patient after two or three sessions, if they're not completely healed, they'll just give up and say, Well, this doesn't work for me. It's a process and the deeper the wound, the longer the journey. And the more you put into it the more you'll get out of it and so I just encourage you to give this time you didn't get to where you were overnight and very rarely do does healing happen within two or three hours when you've had maybe 20 30 40 50 years of pain that needs to be untangled so the fourth key concept of healing is confession and first John 1 9 says if we confess our confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So once again, starting with some background. Come on, it's time to fess up. Most of us have probably heard one of our parents say that to us when we were children. Realizing we were caught, we, were likely, we likely spilled the beans and admitted to our wrongdoing and then awaited maybe some sort of consequence or punishment that was soon to come. But sadly, for some, this punishment may have crossed the line into abuse or harshness or whatnot. Um, however, the mere act of confessing our sins actually promotes spiritual, emotional, and sometimes even physical healing. And as such, should be looked at in a positive light and not just a negative light. So sometimes I think people think, you know, confessing to something is well, gee, you're going to be punished now for that. What I'm trying to say here is confession is part of a healing process. When you're able to speak out or write out or pray out, if you will, to God, um, the different elements of your responsibility within a situation, that can be extremely healing. So prayers of infest- the confession, in fact, are honest conversations with God that open our hearts to the gift and the giver of forgiveness, which is God himself. And that's from Proverbs 30, 31 Ministries. The Greek word for confess in First John 1, 9 is homologeo. And it is formed from the word hamas, meaning the same, and logeo, meaning to say. So many of us will probably recognize homo as it is used in words like homonym, which means to sound the same but have a different meaning. Thus, homologeo means to speak the same thing, to agree with, to confess or profess. When we became Christians, we confessed with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Romans ten nine. In essence, what we're doing at that time was agreeing with what was already true. God, the, God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus the Son, from the dead and pronounced him Lord. Therefore, we spoke the same word as what God had already said, Jesus is Lord. And this led to the healing of our spirits or to our conversion, our, our being born again, spiritually reborn. Once we become Christians, our confessions don't stop though. We'll continue to sin and we need to continue to confess our sin to God, not for salvation, but for sanctification, the sake of our relationship with our creator. So sanctification is a lifelong process. That's the process of becoming more and more like Christ or more and more uh, levels of holiness, so, so to speak. Um, sin always places a barrier between us and God and us and others if we sin, sin against other people. Confession is one way to start breaking down these barriers and restoring our relationships. What else happens when we don't confess? Let's take a look at what happened to David in Psalm 32 to find out. In verse 1, he states the benefits of God's forgiveness. As he says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The reason David could state this is because he knew what it was like to experience the opposite, which is evident in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the dry heat of summer. When David failed to confess his sin, he experienced both emotional and physical pain. Now, God will never force us to confess. He gives us free will. But his Holy Spirit can nudge us in certain directions to make us aware of things. So what is God's goal here? It's not that he wants us to suffer in turmoil, but he does want us to admit what he already knows so that he can bring his healing power. Sometimes there still may be consequences to our sin, but there's nothing like having a restored relationship with God. And above all, we need to remember that we'll never find healing in sin or by covering it up. We will only find healing by exposing sin to the Lord and by obeying God in his word. So when we do sin, let's get into the habit of confessing it, saying the same word as God already knows. After all, as I stated, he knows it anyway, and we're just coming into agreement with what he already knows. So in terms of our application for confession as one of the keys to our healing, As we've seen, the Greek word for confession literally means to speak the same word as what God already knows to be true about you. So in this sense, it is fairly easy to see why speaking out of our mouth those things that we know to be operating in us or wearing us down or in need of healing is the first main step in engaging ourselves in the actual process of allowing the Lord to bring his healing power into our hearts and our lives. Verbally speaking these issues aloud is a vital, important component of emotional healing. And you may wonder why I'm saying they need to be spoken out loud. This is my opinion. I believe that, for one, when something that's been affecting you in your heart and it's finally outwardly verbalized, it becomes more real and it reinforces the reality of that situation. So it keeps you out of denial. Another reason for confessing out loud is that once we get something out in the open, the enemy of our soul no longer has as much power to use that thing against us to inwardly bring torment. So once we've exposed the issue to God's truth and brought it out into the light, it can't stay hidden in it anymore. And if the enemy can't keep something hidden, his power over us and over that situation will begin to diminish. In addition, I believe that there's a a dynamic set in place and set in motion supernaturally when we come into right agreement with what God already knows to be true about ourselves. We are, in a sense, aligning ourselves with his will, which opens the door for him to then be able to truly bring his full measure of healing and freedom into our lives when we admit to a sin that we've allowed to enter. When I work with my patients, one of the first first things I encourage them to do is to tell me about or to confess anything that might be weighing them down or causing them distress. Some people are not comfortable speaking such things aloud at first, and if not, I'll simply have them start by writing things down on paper, perhaps journaling, and then later on, if they're willing, to be able to speak them aloud. So that they can release those burdens off themselves and feel the freedom that that release can bring. Sometimes this is very effectively done in prayer out loud to the Lord or even through journaling. The point of all of this is to get it out. So as you confess, you're either speaking it out or praying it out or writing it out. And that is moving it from having been hidden inside of yourself to outside yourself where the Lord can now um, bring his healing touch to what you have sort of kept from him, if you will, for a certain period of time. When we bring it out into the open, that's when he can heal it. Um, I also would submit that one of the main reasons, if not the main reason for confession, as I mentioned before briefly, is to keep ourselves out of denial. As we all know, it can be very easy to justify or rationalize or minimize a serious issue in our own lives. And if we do this, we truly can be living in a type of deception because we won't be seeing the truth of our lives for what they really are. Confession breaks denial and deception. And that's why it's such a crucial key to our healing process. We can't change what we don't acknowledge. And so therefore, we have to go back to the very act of acknowledging the existence of a problem or an issue in our lives before we can begin to seek God for his transformational and healing power. So finally, for tonight, as we begin to close, we'll look at our fifth key of uh, our healing concepts, and that is the key of restoration. Psalm 23.3 says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So once again, with some background, we'll start. Psalm 23 is perhaps one of the most beloved psalms because in it we see the loving care of our Heavenly Father as our shepherd. A whole book could be written just about this psalm, and in fact many have been, but we want to focus here on how God brings restoration to our soul. In order for this restoration process to take place, we must first acknowledge that we are in need of restoration. In the Isaiah prophecy of Jesus in chapter 61, we are told that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. The expression brokenhearted comes from the Hebrew words shavar, which means to break into pieces, to shatter, to burst, to smash, and from the word lave, which refers not only to the physical heart, but also means the innermost being, the emotion. The word for bind is the word chavash, which has a fundamental meaning of to wrap firmly. And thus, it means to bind up, to bandage, or to wrap around. Therefore, one of Jesus' missions is to take those broken pieces of our heart and soul, those parts that have been shattered and left wounded, and to wrap them firmly with his bandage of love and to bring his healing. And I think that's just such a beautiful portion of Isaiah 61 that um, part of the reason that he's been sent is to bind up our broken hearts. So the Lord even makes provision for the hurts that we've experienced, whether hurts that we have brought upon ourselves or hurts that we did not deserve. He's provided healing through Jesus' finished work on the cross that we can access when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and submit to his um, healing process and his will for our lives. So what happens when Jesus does this healing of binding up a broken heart? Well, he brings restoration to our soul. And this restoration is from the Hebrew word shuv, which has a plentiful usage in the Old Testament. And it's defined as to turn back, to turn around, to return, to restore, or to refresh. The basic meaning is to move back to the point from where one came. As we go through life, we experience many different kinds of hurts which attempt to bring us down and potentially cause us to view life more negatively. God's goal is to bring us back to the point we were before we experienced the hurt. When God restores our broken hearts with his binding power, it produces a strong and lasting bond, stronger than we were before our hearts were broken, because it's based upon trusting in his love and goodness. If we truly desire God's healing in our lives, then we must be willing to turn back to him. In Jeremiah 29:13, the Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. As we turn to the Lord, he will respond by bringing restoration to those shattered pieces of our heart. Our responsibility is to offer those pieces to him, as they will never bring themselves back together on their own. The old adage that says time heals all wounds is truly a misnomer. It has nothing to do with time. It is God who heals all wounds. So let's take the pieces of our heart to him today. All of those pieces and see what he does as he binds up those broken parts of our heart so the continued application of restoration as one of the healing keys is that I truly believe it's God's best for us as his children to be brought to this place of restoration and wholeness in our soul for multiple reasons now this does not mean that we're going to be perfectly restored this side of eternity but the Lord desires us for for us to be made whole and to be active in the healing process that he offers the processes of restoration and healing are exactly that processes I subscribe to the belief that life is much more about the journey than just the destination and after 25 years of, of um, running my private practice I have found that this is so very true. God is very interested in our healing. He desires so much to bring us back to full healing and full restoration. He also is so interested in our hearts and our relationship with him at an even higher level. So he can use the broken pieces. He can use the healing journey to draw us closer to himself. And that is the ultimate, I think, goal, if you will, even though we might view it as healing as our goal, I tend to think that God can use brokenness and the healing process to draw him to his ultimate goal of a closer relationship with himself. And I know that's our our ultimate goal as well. But when we're hurting and we're in pieces and we're unable to see what the next step is, We might not be thinking that our goal is to get closer to God. Most of my patients think their their goal is to be healed, and that's true. But as they do so, they will find that they draw closer to God in that process if they allow themselves to do so. So for most of us, we tend to want to arrive to reach our goal and destination and know that we've made it and we want it to happen quickly. But as I stated, God is so much more interested in our heart attitude, and in our growth in Him along the way. And as one famous preacher has stated multiple times, there is no drive-through breakthrough. When we're willing to submit to God's process of restoration in our lives, we need to be aware that it's rarely an easy, pain-free proposition. But if we truly desire it, and if we commit to seeking God throughout, He will bless us above and beyond anything we could have asked or imagined. I see this reality played out so many times in a day in my therapy practice. The Lord rewards those who are willing to do this hard and often painful healing work. Yes, there's a cost involved when we seek healing and restoration. We can't just expect to sit back and enjoy the ride without investing anything on our own end. But if we don't contribute to our own process of restoration, we will miss out on God's very best for us. Yes, we may still experience some level of healing, but it will fall very short of all that God desires for us to have. God never overrides our free will. So in a sense, we set the parameters for how far we're willing to let God take us in the restoration process. Some of us are very afraid of what might happen once we open the proverbial Pandora's box. But in my experience with patients, I've found that their fears of opening that box or of going to those places that potentially could contain a lot of unhealed pain is often worse than actually facing the contents of the box itself. The enemy of our soul, of course, doesn't want us to experience healing in our lives. He'd much prefer that we remain bound where we are and stick with the status quo so that we will continue to walk, and walk around with open, unhealed, and infected wounds. Once those wounds get healed through God's power, Satan loses his legal right to affect a person's life in that particular area. Because when an emotional mess is cleaned up, the enemy must flee because his territory has now been taken away. And that's a, a legal concept in terms of the spiritual realm that I don't have time to get into tonight, but one that's very worth studying. When we allow the Lord to heal our emotional pain and our emotional mess, so to speak, there is legal ground, toeholds, footholds, and strongholds that are taken away from the enemy that he has tried to occupy for possibly years or decades. And when that is healed, he loses that ground. And that is why he tries so hard to work against the healing process. That's why he throws um, stumbling blocks in the paths of those that I work with. That's why he tries to bring discouragement so that people will give up and not go through this full process. That is why I encourage all the harder (laughs) for people to stay the course. Because if they will, it will be worth it in the end. And... We need to keep in mind, and this is huge, that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force us to face something that we're not ready to face. He may gently nudge us in a certain direction to get our attention, but he waits until we align our will with his before he takes action to restore. And that's important because we have to want this healing. And we see in Scripture, New Testament, Jesus say, do you want to be healed? Are you, you know, are you wanting this? He would say things along those lines and people would answer that question. We have to be willing. We have to want that healing. And when we want to be healed, Jesus is more than willing to do that healing for us and take action to restore us. So once we agree to let him take us through this process, we can absolutely know and trust that he will provide us with all the grace that we'll need to deal with these painful and difficult issues. Our God is faithful, and we can count on that promise. As the well-known saying goes, the Lord won't take us where his great grace can't keep us. So to wrap up in conclusion tonight, true healing is a journey, much more than it is a mere destination. It can be painful at times, And for this reason, some may shy away from entering into this life-changing process. But I highly encourage you to stretch your trust and faith in God and permit Him to gently guide you as you examine your heart and allow Him to apply His healing balm to your soul and your spirit. Jesus' healing truth brings freedom to your life. That's all the time that we have left for tonight, and I'd like to close you in a prayer. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for this privilege to have been able to speak about this issue of healing tonight. And we just ask now that your words that were spoken tonight would go out and minister to those all over this world, that needed to hear them. Lord, we thank you that you customize your message for all who are listening, Lord God, that you will bring the truths that they need and you will allow those truths to go down into willing hearts as they seek your healing touch in their lives, Lord. I pray for encouragement. I pray against discouragement, Lord God, for those that feel that there's no hope left. I pray for those that are even possibly contemplating harming themselves, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that that hope, that discouragement um, would be lifted off and that hope would replace discouragement, Lord God. We thank you for for what you're doing in lives right now, even within the sound of my voice and as I speak right now, Lord God. We come against the enemy's plans of destruction. We come against the enemy's um, desire and uh, tactics and strategies to try to keep your children bound uh, and without hope, Lord God. There's so much hope in you. We thank you, Lord God, for what you've done tonight and what you'll continue to do after this broadcast um, ends, and we just ask all of these things now in your glorious and holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this evening. I hope you'll uh, join me again in September for the second half of this broadcast, and if you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, please feel free to call 414-254-9862, Or visit my website at healing-word.com. Thank you very much and God's richest blessings be upon you.